electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the big day for stocks. As Moderna says, its COVID vaccine proves nearly 95% effective in clinical trials. The Dow hitting an all-time intraday high, closing in, as Carl said, on 30,000. So is it time now to go all in on the reopen trade? We'll debate that and how you should play this market with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, uh, Pete Nigerian, Brent Talkington is managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. Brenda Vangelo, the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors, and Megan Shu, the head of investment strategy at the Wilmington Trust. Good to see everybody. Let's take a first look here at stocks. Take a look at where we currently stand. The Dow did get to 29,942. That is an all-time intraday high. Fell back a bit off that. Still a strong day. A better than 400-point gain for the Dow, nearly 1.5%. S&P better than 1%. NASDAQ just a little shy of that. Then the small caps all the way to the right-hand side of your screen, two and a third percent, 1783. Banks, travel and leisure stocks leading the way. Some of the stay-at-home stocks are selling off. Joe, here we go again. Great Monday of vaccine news, and then these reopening stocks are surging. Yes, and and in fact, for the investors that believe uh, that there are no more catalysts that can potentially lift the market, I want everyone to think forward. There's the possibility that in the middle of December, the Federal Reserve steps in and provides further stimulus to kind of replace what's missing from fiscal policymakers. I want investors to give consideration to who potentially would be the Treasury Secretary. And lastly, what will incoming uh, President-elect Biden's policy be towards the Chinese? I think the reintroduction of a favorable relationship is a positive one. So there are many catalysts coming as it relates to the reopening of stocks Uh, I look specifically at sectors, Scott, and you could look at financials, you could look at energies, but the one sector that stands out to me as the opportunity is industrials. It screens high in terms of return on equity, it's got low beta, and it really, I suspect, will have the regulatory tailwind that I'm not so sure energy and financials will have. So that's the one sector I would focus on. Well, you bought Honeywell, so you're putting your money where your mouth is. Yes, I bought Honeywell, and I also bought Cintas. So uh, Old Dominion and Copart, those are industrial names that I have been in in the past. I currently maintain deer and cat, cat pressing back towards an all-time high. But I want to add exposure here, and I'm doing it specifically in the industrial space. I love the earnings report that we got recently from Honeywell. That's bumping up with some strong technical momentum. And fundamentally, Cintas, an industrial name, really performing well and shall do well in 2021 as the U.S. economy begins to open further. Okay, Um, Brent, so you heard Joe there. Um, You know, look, great news today, obviously, another Monday with tremendous vaccine news. The the reality, of course, Brynn, though, is that it's going to take a long time for everybody to get vaccinated. We're not sure exactly the time frame uh, into next year. And meantime, we have to deal with a winter 
that is going to be bleak in terms of the virus numbers. It doesn't seem like the market cares because it really is fixated and focused on what happens with the vaccine. Is that the correct way that we all should be looking at this? I mean, I think I think you're spot on. I think it's incredible. This is as of last week, not even with today's rally, is that, you know, it's not just the FANG stocks at all time high. It's the S&P. It's the Dow. It's the S&P equal weight. It's the Russell 2000. It's industrials, materials, consumer staples and healthcare. And so we have not only within asset class, but sectors all time high. The exception to that are going to be energy, energy, financials, and then obviously the travel stocks, which really don't make up that much of the major indices, but definitely make up the broad economy. And so I think we have a little bit of a, a leapfrog here because the Moderna news, the Pfizer news, we're going to continue to get more news on vaccines. I do think the reality, though, is that, you know, the hospitals are filling up. Um, you know, it's we're, we're in a pandemic. And so I think that that overhang needs to be cleared. And we actually need to have not only manufacturing of these vaccines once they get approval, but also more therapeutics to help people that are already sick. That being said, to Joe's point about, you know, people not thinking there's more catalyst. I think the biggest catalyst will continue to or we'll see next year that we're still seeing are earnings. And I think ultimately earnings is what drives stocks higher and earnings are good this quarter and will continue to be good in 2021. So, Pete, this is a, it's interesting way that, that Bryn puts that, because I, you could say, OK, vaccine is still you know, a ways off till, till we all can get it. The winter is going to be tough. You know, it's going to be cold. It's going to be dark and the numbers are going to be up. Mm -hmm. We already know what's happening there. However, the other side of that, of course, is you've got the Fed is fully engaged You've got interest rates, which are low. You have what looks to be a divided government, depending the outcome of the runoff down in Georgia. And as Bryn just said, you do have the earnings picture getting better. So is that enough good news to trump what I said about where the virus is today? My answer is yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, all you got to do is look at my portfolio, fully understand where I am. As a matter of fact, Tony Dwyer has been all over this banks and tanks idea, right? And what's really working? It's banks and tanks. I mean, the last week or so, we've watched this complete jump to the upside. And we've been stuck for so long, Scott, the financials, the XLF, as you measure all the financials together. And you look at that and you say, God, can it ever get away from 25? Well, it's finally broken away from 25 and has been moving to the upside. And it's on the back of just about every one of those names. So there have been regionals participating as well. American Express has actually finally got up and started to participate after lagging Visa and MasterCard for what seems like forever. But you look at Capital One, you look at City, you look at Bank of America, JP Morgan across the board. And then I think when you look at tanks, you're not just looking at tanks, but you're also looking at the material space, the energy space. Look at what has been going on in the energy space. Even though oil basically has stopped in this low level of the low 40s, it seems like these energy names just continue to have a great push to the upside. We've been seeing unbelievable activity there, Scott. It seems like for the last, well, I can tell you this, the last two weeks or so, so the start of November, we have seen over 30 different bullish option activities of unusual type 
that have been hitting in the energy space. That says a lot. We've also had an incredible amount of hits in terms of the rock space. And when I say that, I mean Cliffs and U.S. Uh, Steel and some of those types of names. I'll throw Freeport Mac in there as well. So that space has been absolutely on fire. And it doesn't oftentimes get looked at. But that doesn't mean other names aren't working. Take a look at the semiconductors today. Semiconductors are definitely participating to the upside. And it's not because just technology, but when you look across the field and you see what's really moving, those are names that are actually going into industrials, to Joe's point, talking about the industrials. They're going into industrials. They're going into automobiles. They're going into different categories. So I think that this is a much broader rally, which is a good thing. And this broad rally is on top of unbelievable volumes in the derivatives markets to back up what we are seeing in terms of this move across all the major indices to the upside. All right, so, Megan, I want you to answer the question I asked everybody at the top then. Is it time to go full bore, to go all in to the reopen slash economic recovery trade today? I would say it is a time to be thinking about adding to risk in portfolios, but I would not be going full bore on the value trade. Scott, you laid out all of the constructive um, fundamental backdrop for equities, and, and I would agree with those. Divided government, um, really encouraging news out of the vaccine, low interest rates, a Fed that is really going to remain accommodative. But there are some short-term risks. We have to be uh, aware of the Georgia runoffs for the Senate. We have to be looking at uh, the possibility that we might have some hiccups as it relates to further fiscal stimulus. We are looking at this as an opportunity to add to certain areas of the market that have more upside. So certain areas of the U.S. value trade, but not deep, deep value, deep cyclicals. Things like advertising, apartment REITs, some of those that are more value-oriented, more tied to a cyclical recovery, but are not the most highly levered, sort of junkiest names, if you will. Um, I would also point out emerging markets, which we are really bullish on. We have an overweight to emerging markets. Specifically, we added to emerging markets growth. When you look at the prospects for a more benign trade backdrop, uh, a weaker dollar, more attractive valuations when you look at emerging market technology versus U.S. technology, and then the digital spread that we're seeing. You know, what we've experienced this year is not likely to reverse in terms of the technological adoption, and emerging markets are really well suited for that. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I urge everybody to go to CNBC.com. You can read Megan's uh, op-ed, uh, in fact, about that and her uh, discussing why she likes the emerging market trade so much. All right, Brenda, I turn to you, um, and I turn to Tom Lee in some respects for kicking off this question to you because he has today seven reasons to keep buying the epicenter names, the reasons he still favors those stocks, which, as you know, and all of our viewers know, uh, he has talked about in this venue and others for several months. Uh, vaccine momentum dramatically strengthening. Check. We all agree with that, right? Treatments are seeing vast improvements. Check. Everybody agrees with that. Governors are pursuing targeted lockdowns, not full stay-at-home orders. Um, that seems to be where this is going, rather than these broad, full shutdowns, if you will. Europe cases are rolling over. Four and a half trillion dollars of cash, he says. Brenda are on the sidelines, finally moving into stocks. China and Asia are getting back to normal. All of those seem reasonable reasons to you to continue to buy these stocks. They do. And I think, you know, especially when you talk about the four and a half trillion on the sidelines that he highlights, 
just any of that money, even just flowing into the S&P 500, is going to support all the tech names that have driven so much of this rally. So I don't think you want to abandon uh, that group in particular. But I think it do it does make absolute sense to us to start adding money uh, to more of the reopening trades, tilting more towards value. I mean, the last economic cycle, we really never saw value outperform. And it was because we never really had a solid period of real economic growth. We kind of limped along. This time around, it seems like it could be more significant, especially against the backdrop of the significant economic stimulus that we've seen enacted around the world, and likely more to come to bridge the gap between now and when there's a vaccine and therapy widely available. So in our portfolios, you know, over the summer months, we began adding some reopening trades like booking holdings, Boeing, we just added a few weeks ago. We also added a, a position in global value. Our next move is likely to add more to that value theme and taking from uh, some of the more growth-oriented investments we have in our portfolio, but not abandoning them completely. So we have been overweight in our portfolio, overweight equity since March. We've maintained that, even though we could see some bumps in the road related to overall infections. Uh, we think that the fact that we now have a timeline, essentially, to look to 2022 and say that is is more likely than we, we knew just, you know, a month or two ago to be a year where we really do have um, a significant recovery take place. Joe, Joe, the question is what happens if, if tech sort of takes a back seat to the reopen trade and, and what the broader implications of that would be on the market itself. Credit Suisse today says we remain of the view that the broader market can continue higher with tech moving sideways. Do you agree with that call? Uh, I do agree with that call, and, and I really appreciate all the comments from, from everyone on the panel today. But in particular, Pete mentioned something, and it's the fact that you're getting this dispersion. You're getting a little bit of a broadening out of the rally. So, yes, even if it goes sideways to higher for technology, I think uh, that's fine. I think it's giving consideration, Scott, to adding to the cyclically oriented names. Look at today's price action, DocuSign, which is a name that I owned. Last week, DocuSign was down significantly on the news from Pfizer. Today, it's holding basically higher. Apple is moving higher today. So I think we're getting a glimpse today of how this market could be looking uh, as we move forward. Um, I, I also think, though, in introducing a lot of these new names, you have to give consideration to theories based on how are things going to work. We mentioned energy, and clearly the price of energy has significantly underperformed energy equities. Well, combine the reopening and look at a name like an energy bank, financials and energy. I own TCBI. TCBI since October 5th is 50% higher. Think about the reopening here in New York. Think about Signature Bank, SBNY, $6 billion bank that is going to significantly benefit. So I, I like taking the reopening concept and adding it to a portfolio with what we already know, that established growth isn't going away and should still be in that portfolio. Well, it's interesting, Pete. You know, you take a look at these so-called stay-at-home stocks. And, and you may have to be really selective in the way that you view those, not with a broad brush. It's not a monolithic group that is right. going to judge the reopen and say, OK, everything's going to sell off or everything is going to go higher. Uh, you know, Joe uses DocuSign as an example. Yeah. If we're going to reopen, DocuSign's not going to disappear. People aren't, you know, there, there are things you have to look at in their own own individual way, a Zoom, a DocuSign, right. a Peloton. It's not the whole group 
that an investor needs to take a look at when trying to make these decisions. Right. I think what, what, what you have to look at when you're looking, though, Scott, and we talk about quality all the time, right? And we look at a name like Zoom. I do think it's a quality name, but is it in front of itself a little bit? This stock was almost $600 not too terribly long ago, I think less than a month ago, and now look at where it is. So we are seeing adjustments there, and I think we'll continue to see some of those names, the direct names that are part of what we have watched just explode to the upside. I think some of those names are the names that probably got way in front of themselves. I think Peloton's another one of those names. I would put Zoom in that category. I think there are Teladoc. There are multiple names that I think are in that category. So I think they're too and elevated. I don't think that that means... For, forgive me for interrupting I do, you. You and think I all of those are too elevated? Yes, 100%, yes. But I think there doesn't mean that they won't have a place in the future. The problem is it's going to be a hybrid place in the future, right? It's going to go from everybody's at home doing a Zoom call to people going to work for two days a week or three days a week and then maybe coming back and finding the efficiencies that we are seeing right now and people being able to use Zoom. So it doesn't mean it's all over and it's not going to be able to perform, but let's be honest. Take a look at where you think that that is trading from a PE perspective in the future. And we try to look at some of those kinds of things. And obviously, some of these names got way in front of themselves. People got very, very excited. So it un it's understandable why they did. But now, at some point in time in the very near future, as we're looking out and we're seeing a vaccine last Monday and a vaccine this Monday that all sound like they could be potentially unbelievable vaccines for us, I think that does push some of those names down. And people are going to have to readjust and decide what should the PE be for this company or that company, whether it's a Peloton, a Zoom, a Teladoc, or whatever it might be. Bryn, you're a stock picker. How do you view that, that question of, of some of these stocks that have done so well as stay-at-homes that have become, in many ways, household names? I think that... You know, when the analysts or strategists come out with broad brushstrokes of overweight or underweight tech, I think that it's like if all you have is a hammer, then everything's a nail. And I think to, to echo what Pete said, you know, it's very distinct among companies. And I think a good example of something that Satya Nadella said a few months ago, he said, we've had two years of digital transformation in two months. Well, we've also had two years of returns probably pulled forward this year in some of those names. And so as a stock picker, when I look back and think, what do I want to own over the next year? Give me a year. I'd rather own Kinder Morgan than Peloton. Um, so I think, you know, Boeing's an interesting name. At the, same, at the same time, I don't want to own Intel. I'd rather own Apple. And so I think it's a really wonderful opportunity right now going forward across industries to be a stock picker and look at some of these names, because I don't think broad tech is going to perform alike. I mean, Zoom, I think Zoom is the best performing stock on the NASDAQ this year. It's not going to repeat that every single year. And I do think some of those names have definitely gotten ahead of themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, Megan, so I'm looking at some commentary today from Mike Wilson about the, the overall state of the market, and he appears to be growing more bullish. He's raised his S&P base case estimate to 3900 from 3350 that's for december of 21 so he's looking ahead a year and that's a considerable jump now we're that's 300 points higher than where we are now it's not you know um a hyperbolic move it's eight percent i think anybody would take that given the circumstances but he likes financials he's this is right in our wheelhouse of this conversation financials materials industrials and healthcare. Yeah, I would agree with some of those picks. I mean, if you look at a 10-year yield that's now pushing towards 
uh, a, ste- a yield curve that is the steepest it's been since 2018. That's a good backdrop for financials, specifically those uh, banks. We-, we tend to like still the larger diversified money center banks over a smaller regional bank that's still a little bit hamstrung by loan growth. Um, but industrials, those those cyclical areas of the market still have a lot of opportunity. And I just wanted to agree with um, Bryn's comments from earlier because I, I think one of the things that we might see from a market where tech moves sideways is the return of active management. It's been a really tough year to beat a passive index simply because of how much of the index uh, gains have been from just a handful of companies. So a broadening of leadership, as I think about my seat, in terms of constructing portfolios with different um, active implementations, passive, this could be the next 12 months a really good opportunity for active management. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking at some of these stocks which which Wilson says uh, are missed price. By the way, he's going to be on closing bell today at three o'clock, so you can hear all of this um, directly f- from him. We'll just set the table, if you will, for uh, for the folks on closing bell, and you know, then you can see Mike Wilson directly there. Reopening stocks he thinks are mispriced. GM, Booking, which we already heard today, Bloomin Brands, Darden, Capri, Hilton, Las Vegas Sands, and Marriott, Coca-Cola, some energy plays in there like Exxon, airlines like JetBlue and Delta, Alaska. Brenda, what do you think about those? You know, part of me looks at those names and says, I go back to the way we started this conversation with tough winter, Cases are exploding, uh, vaccine not going in anybody's arm in sort of mass quantity anytime soon. So is it in some respects too early to buy some of these names, even as mispriced as they may look today? Yeah, our preference would be to go with something like booking, where you get exposure to more than one category within the travel and leisure space. Uh, But I don't think it's too early to start kicking the tires on these things and really doing the individual stock work and understanding, you know, is this company going to remain solvent, um, really, um, or what options do they have uh, between now and when a a reopening can really happen in earnest? Now, we don't know the exact timing of that, but I think we can look forward and say it probably will be around 2022 uh, when we start to see that happen. So I think you can do the individual stock work there, but again, our preference is to take a more diversified exposure uh, to the travel and leisure industry. But we have no doubt that we think there is a lot of pent-up demand there. And so we think that we will see uh, things come back much quicker than they would during an ordinary recession uh, scenario here. Um, because we're all tired of being at home. We all want to see family and friends. And I think everyone's ready for a vacation. Yeah, you do have to you know, <laughs> ask yourself, Bryn, whether some of these reopens have gone a little too far in terms of the stock, stocks. You, you sold Six Flags, for example which seems to suggest that you think at least that one may have. Yeah, so I, first of all, I think Six Flags, it's a Texas-based company, but I think it's a great company as well. It had been somewhat of a laggard in that reopening trade, and you know, it was up close to $30 on the, on the Monday that Pfizer came out with news. And so I would rather just keep some powder dry to, to, from, a, from a trading perspective, buy some of the other names that I think have longer legs if it does take a little bit longer. Because as I said at the beginning of the show, I mean, these vaccine announcements are just announcements. There, there's nothing, they're just announcements. We, we don't have vaccines being disseminated out of Walmart, CVS, and Walgreens. And at the same time, we, we still lack therapeutics. So 
I think that a lot of these reopening names are making higher lows. They're not necessarily making higher highs, but I really like that higher low scenario. So I'll continue to look around for some, some companies, some of which Mike mentioned. You know, I've talked about Coke before. I still think that's kind of, as Tom Lee would say, a granny shot of a reopening, but a great place to make money. And it probably goes back to 60 sometime towards the end of next year. Pete, how, how aggressive are you being right now in the market? Uh, when it comes to the option side of it, Scott, as you know, when, when the volatility gets to the levels where we are, and can you imagine just two weeks ago we were at 39 or 40 on the VIX, and now here we are in the 22s? I mean, it's an amazing move to the downside, which means I'm doing far more options than I am stocks. When the, stock, when, the, when the VIX is higher, I'm buying stocks, selling premium, and now I'm buying more options. So I've been extremely aggressive. But I'll tell you, Scott, this market is providing unbelievable returns in very fast uh, moves. It's absolutely incredible. I just got done as we were talking. I sold some MGM. I sold a couple other things because the moves have been just extraordinary just from last week. So I've been pretty aggressive just adding, adding, adding. Whenever I see something that does make sense, MGM is one of those types of names. Last week, it was one, it was one of those names that was hitting for us on an unusual. So I decided to grab some of that. And now with this news, obviously, we got a pretty nice spike from last Thursday to where it is today. But there's multiple names like that. So I'm being very, very aggressive, but also extremely disciplined. Scott, because these moves can move, work just as fast to the downside. We've all yeah. seen it as it does to the upside. Yep. But the, be the best days, if you will, I mean, in, in terms of, you know, the here and now of, of selling volatility, which Rick Reeder had pointed out, which you just absolutely hit a home run on because the VIX has moved down to 23. Are they over? Yeah. Oh, no. I, I mean, they might be over for just now, but, um, but certainly, Scott, I think, and you, you've been all over this for a very, very long period of time, but I think that we are maybe getting a little in front of ourselves. It's great that there are a couple of vaccines the last couple of Mondays that have come out that look very, very promising, but that doesn't mean that we have them today. I think Bryn was just mentioning that as well. It's a matter of when does that really happen, and I think you've got to understand that there are going to be bad times. There's going to be some really dark, as you mentioned, some dark days because of the numbers that we are seeing right now across the country, specifically up here in the Midwest where I am, South Dakota, North Dakota. Some of these numbers are extraordinarily high, so I don't know that we're completely out of it and i think that there's a chance that we have some big volatility explosions but that doesn't mean we can't go down towards 20 before that happens but i certainly would be buying volatility at these at this level and if we get down towards 20 as all the, as well the, the amazing thing is just to finish up with you pete before we take a, a break is that you know tom lee has been making this call vix looks like it's going under 20 and that you know yeah. if, if that happens that is an absolute confirmation of a buy signal Right. Uh, well, and, and quite honestly, Scott, I will tell you this, and it's something that the, 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 if you go back, when VIX is between 20 and 25, it's considered no man's land. So to Tom's point, you get under 20, yes, that's absolutely buy time, and you can buy protection for very, very, well, a heck of a lot less expensive than you would have just two, three weeks ago. So absolutely, Scott, I would agree, and Tom Lee's been all over this for a long time. Yeah, he certainly has. All right, let's step away for a couple minutes, take yeah. a quick break. Check out this mystery chart. It's a stock that surged 50% this year, a new street high call on it today. The investment committee debates that coming up next. And tomorrow you can hear from top experts in personal finance at our Path Forward, Your Money Summit. Get tactical advice on spending and saving from Susie Orman, Patriots linebacker, our friend Brandon Copeland, and more. You can register at cnbcevents.com slash your money. The halftime report is back in two minutes.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Seema Modi, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The head of the World Health Organization says the good news on vaccine development shouldn't lure people into complacency. He says health systems in the Americas and Europe are being pushed to the breaking point. Here at home, New Jersey is tightening its limits on gatherings. Governor Phil Murphy banning indoor gatherings of more than 10 people and outdoor gatherings of more than 150 people. The NCAA says it plans to hold the entire men's basketball tournament in Indianapolis to lower COVID-19 risks. Talks are being held with city officials to host the city for games that had been scheduled for 13 different sites. And the Postal Service raising its shipping rates starting January 24th. Priority mail prices will go up about 3.5% and the cost of Priority Express will increase a little more than 1%. And that's our CNBC News update for this hour. Back to you, Scott. All right, Seema, thank you, Seema Modi. We have a bullish call. I was telling you about it. Our mystery chart, it's Chipotle. The target today, a new street high, $1,745. That's at Piper Sandler. Joe, so you previously owned it. I know you wish you still did because it's up 50% year to date. Talk to me about Chipotle. So back on September 2nd, it reached an all-time high at 1385 And if you look at the average uh, estimate from analysts on 12-month price target. That's basically where they believe it's going to be heading. 1745 is pretty aggressive in terms of its call. So it's 10% higher from here. The last 12 months, Scott, you've gotten basically 66% gains out of this. I actually think that the next 10% returning to that high once again is going to be difficult to achieve, take much longer. I think it'll get there, but just understand it's going to take longer. Digital sales, which have been so incredibly important, delivery is 50% of that. So we're trying to gain an understanding of what the operating expense outlook is going to look like for Chipotle. What are the labor costs going to be? Are they going to rise in 2021 under a new administration? So they've lowered the delivery fee from $3 to $1, but to offset that, Scott, they're going to have to raise prices on the menu. So I think it's going to take some time here to get an understanding fundamentally of how digital sales and operating expenses are going to be impacted. The next 10% is going to be tough to achieve. All right, I'm putting everybody on the spot right now. Bryn, best quick serve or fast casual stock that our viewers should look at today is what? Well, if Chick-fil-A were public, I would say Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and so um, since they're not, uh, I'll, I'll, go with, I'll go with McDonald's. Okay. Pete? I'm going to go with McDonald's as well. I think they're really moving in kind of like what Chipotle has done. I think they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger into the digital world. And as they do, I think it's just going to be a home run for them, Scott. Brenda? I don't want to repeat everybody's, other, everyone else's thesis, but I think McDonald's too, it's lower cost, um, likely to recover as well um, and be uh, you know, uh, available for, for a broad range of people rather than Chipotle, which is trending a little higher. 
All right. Big serving of McDonald's. That seems to be <laughs> the answer. We do have more bullish calls out today. Rahel Solomon breaking those down for us. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So Wells Fargo is resuming coverage of AT&T with an underweight rating and a $25 price target. Scott saying it's a difficult balancing act between investing in its core segments while also trying to deleverage and paying out the 7% dividend. There's also concern that AT&T is at risk of falling behind in the 5G race. That's a worry they also have with Verizon, but to a lesser extent, giving that stock an equal rate rating. Equal weight rating target is 60 bucks. And for T-Mobile, the firm gives an overweight rating, $150 price target, calling it really the only true growth story in the saturated wireless industry. Uh, Evercore is initiating coverage of Activision Blizzard with an outperform rating, saying that it sees the stock reaching 110 bucks thanks to a rich pipeline of games and a record of driving scale. That said, however, you can see the stock is down about 2.5%, along with some of the other gaming stocks, Scott, likely part of this rotation that you've already talked about out of the pandemic plays today. Also, a slew of initiations on McAfee. Five buys, two neutrals. Goldman gives it the highest price target of $26, calling it, Scott, the best consumer platform in the industry. Rahel, we appreciate it very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon, joining us there. Um, all right, Brenda, let's start with AT&T, okay? Um, resumed underweight at Wells, investors don't even want to hear it because the stock is up today. It is down substantially, though, year to date. So what do you do with, with AT&T? Listen, I think this is a cheap stock. There's not a lot of expectations built in. It has a 7% dividend yield. They just actually reported a good quarter uh, recently where the wireless business um, was uh, a positive and, a, and surprise to the upside. I think this company needs to put together another good quarter. So we need two good quarters in a row here. But the other thing to keep in mind is that the Time Warner business is obviously under pressure in this environment. But that is poised to recover along with everything else um, in, an, in a recovery scenario. So that shouldn't be ignored. So I don't think expectations are particularly high for this company. And the 7% dividend is certainly attractive in this zero interest rate environment that we're in. All right, Pete, let's talk about Activision, as Rahel said, initiated outperform at Evercore. $110 is the price target. You own calls in that name. I do. And I'm looking at it, Scott. When you look at the fundamental story, this is not one of those names that's ultimately so stretched like we were talking about with some of the other names like Zoom and some of the rest. This is a name that's trading at 22 times forward. So that's not so terrible. As a matter of fact, great fundamentals in terms of their cash position right now and their cash flows. I like the fact that Call of Duty just continues to be an incredible franchise. They keep building on that. And they got 50 million pre-registered already in China for uh, uh, Call of Duty. So I think there's a lot of reasons to stay bullish on this name. I think it's getting pulled back today just because of today as we're seeing some of that rotation. But I think it's just getting caught up in that, Scott. It's not so much that the stock is, is tumbling for, uh, for any other reason. And I think this is a stock that very easily could, could easily get up towards 85 or 90 in the not-too-distant future. Okay, good stuff. We will bounce for another couple minutes or so. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. Before we do go to break, take a look at the S&P sectors. Before we do that, led by energy today, S&P up 31 points. The Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting a new record intraday high earlier in the session. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. 
To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. Let's get to Bob Pisani now, who has our ETF edge. Hey, Bob. Hello, Scotty. Our guest today, Jan Van Eck from Van Eck Vectors ETFs and Tim Seymour, the founder and CIO of Seymour Asset Management. Hey, Tim, the value rally finally looks like it's got some legs here. All the value ETFs are up 15 to 20 percent this month. Big cap, small cap, doesn't matter. European value, all the value has up, but it's not consistently outperformed for a decade. Is that about to change in your estimation? <laughs> I think you have to be careful about assuming it's it's game on. And we've had even some of this rotation at fits and starts. Remember May into June, everybody thought this was the trade. It last four or five days, obviously, if you look at industrials, they've outperformed semiconductors and triple Qs. Um, but if you you know if you look at the 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 you know the SMH, uh, this is Van X uh, semiconductor ETF. You know you have the dynamic where it's outperformed industrials by forty percent almost uh, over the last year. And, and I think that dynamic doesn't change overnight. But normalizing rate. Uh, and getting ourselves back into, you know, kind of uh, looking forward to the industrial cycle. Yes, I, I do think that this trade has more legs, and it's it's been for the last two to three months, really. Yeah. Hey, Jan, the rally is producing huge inflows into ETFs in the last few weeks. We just passed $5 trillion in assets under management for the ETF business. First time ever. Inflows, though, have all been to equity ETFs. There's big outflows in the last few weeks from bonds and from gold. Is all that money that's flowed into bonds in the last several years now about to reverse? Yeah, well, who wants to own a bond at, at you know less than 1% yield? You can't make any money over that over any kind of time horizon. So I like what Tim said about the normalizing yield environment. And it's amazing. Investors have been fleeing bonds. I was just looking at, at balances at Merrill Lynch are down 49% in terms of their bond holdings over the last several years. So everyone's running away from the 10-year and trying to find alternatives. Yep. Thank you, Jan and Tim. Now, I want to tell everybody you need to join us 1 p.m. for our ETF Edge show. We take a deeper dive on the big themes in ETFs for 2021 on gold, on bonds, on high yield, and on equities with Jan and Tim and Doug Jonas, he's the head of ETFs for the New York Stock Exchange. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob, thank you. Appreciate that. We do have a big week ahead for earnings. We're going to talk about that next. Get you the trades on NVIDIA and Walmart, Home Depot, and more. There's the calendar. We'll talk about it next. Okay, welcome back. 
Uh, let's talk about earnings. We talked to you about the calendar. Home Depot. Joe, we're coming to you for that. You own Home Depot. Announced that deal today to buy HD Supply, 56 bucks a share. Yeah, well, that's a reacquisition, Scott. They own them from 97 to 2007, and it emphasizes the renewed focus on the contractor and professional business. So there clearly has been uh, a lot of strength in terms of momentum for do-it-yourself and the consumer. But I like here trying to increase the exposure, uh, stepping out to the professional uh, capacity. This re upcoming report, I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to be enough to take out that previous high from August 27th, but it's certainly going to be enough to have you remain committed to staying in the name. Okay, that's an interesting point. I want to discuss that with you. Staying in the name, something that Stephanie Link uh, had not done. You know, she was trimming shares of Home Depot. The stock had a nice run. We're talking about reopen. Maybe people are going to change their lifestyle habits a little bit. Is it as good as it as it gets in Home Depot? No, I, I don't think so. And, I, and listen, I like the diversification story, as I mentioned before, getting into that contract or professional area. I think the holiday season is going to be a strong one for Home Depot. But it's really been my way uh, to gain quality exposure to consumer spending. I've been hesitant to step out and maybe uh, buy a, a travel or, or leisure or some of the casinos. Home Depot has been, how do I correlate with strength in consumer spending? And there's no reason fundamentally right now why I'm going to pare back that allocation. I respect what Stephanie's doing, but I just can't find an alternative to Home Depot for a large cap equity with that type of consumer-facing exposure. Okay. We'll get back to this conversation in just a minute, though. I do want to show you some video that is just coming in to CNBC. The president-elect Joe Biden, vice president-elect Kamala Harris, meeting today with CEOs and labor leaders uh, this hour. You can see there this virtual meeting, an economic briefing, if you will. Mary Barra is the CEO of General Motors, the CEOs of Microsoft, also participating there uh, as long, uh, along with The Gap and uh, Target. And uh, we may be hearing uh, from the president-elect sometime later today uh, regarding the economy. But that is currently happening right, back, uh, right, uh, right now. That is your tape playback. I'll go to Kayla Tausche, who's paying attention to this, too. Kayla? Scott, you mentioned the names of the corporate executives who are present at that teleconference, but it should also be noted that there are five representatives uh, of major American unions that are also on that call. And the president-elect said that he wants to have this conversation to get the economy back on track and to make sure it doesn't get off track during this upcoming period and to discuss ways that workers can continue to operate in their environment safely. It's notable that he asked that question because he has major representatives of companies and organizations that interface with manufacturing and with hourly workers who staff retail establishments. So certainly these are people uh, who are face-to-face -face with customers. And in lieu of any sort of federal backstop, uh, there's no one paying them to close uh, or to not operate out of an abundance of caution in this moment. So they need to figure out exactly how to keep their doors open. And that seems to be the thrust of the conversation that the president-elect and vice president-elect are about to have with these leaders today. All right, Kayla, we appreciate that. That's Kayla Tausche. I told you uh, about the earnings calendar that was coming up and Brian Cornell, one of the CEOs participating in that briefing, Pete. Um, you own the stock and the options are just shares. Yep. 
just shares right now, Scott. I've been in both many times, but you know, what I'm really impressed with is this, the partnerships that they've put themselves into. They have it with Levi's, with Starbucks, and now with Ulta Beauty. That's phenomenal. I think all of this works in favor of trying to get folks into the stores for the margins, right? I mean, that's, that's really what it's about. When you really look at profitability right now, with Target, Walmart, and Amazon, it's not even close. It's all about Target because they've got their five different categories and they've got private labels. They seem to be doing everything right. And what they've done with digital has been, been absolutely phenomenal. So I just continue to think that this is a stock that, that's doing no wrong at this point in time. Trades 20 times earnings, Scott. There's no reason this stock can't go higher. Let's finish with NVIDIA, uh, which you own. And Brenda, you know, there have been many, many tech stocks where the bar has been especially high going into the number. This has to be one of them for NVIDIA. Up 130% year to date. 165 over the last year. Do you feel like the bar is especially high? I do. You know, this stock, as you mentioned, is up significantly this year. So they need to put up another really solid quarter. So I think all eyes are going to be on a continuation of strength, the data center and gaming business that we've seen. But also looking beyond that to the recent acquisition the company just made of ARM and the AI business and how that can propel growth going forward. So I think that's going to be a huge focus of the call. Okay, good stuff. Coming up, crude prices climbing today. How the futures traders are playing that next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Time for the futures outlook. Crude oil rallying, hitting its highest level in nearly a month. Let's bring in Scott Nation's of nations indexes with our trades. Good to see you. No big surprise. Good vaccine news means crude's going to rise. That's right. We had good news from Pfizer. Now we have good news from Moderna. Uh, everybody thinks now, Scott, though, that it's going to be back to normal. That's a wonderful thought, but I think it's a little too optimistic. If you wanted to say that that's what's going to happen in July or August and everybody's going to break out of lockdown like high school seniors on the last day of class, I say, great. I agree with that. But in January and until early spring, it's just way too optimistic. The IEA said benefits to crude oil prices won't be fully felt into well into next year. And so this rally right now is a rally to sell in the short term. Uh, in the January contract, I want to be a seller. I want to be selling 42.20 in that January contract. Uh, December is front month, but that's going to go off the board in just a few days. So I'm going to sell the Jan contract target to the downside is going to be 38.65, and Scott, that's about halfway back from the November 2nd low to the 11th, to the high we had on the 11th. Stop. We're always going to trade these with a stop. 43 dollars even. That's just below that November 11th high. Every point in crude oil is a thousand dollars, so we're risking 800 dollars to make 3,550 dollars. See what kind of line in the sand 40 bucks is. Scott, thank you, Scott Nations. Joining us, we'll take a quick break. Then you know what's coming up. Unusual activity. Pete's got that plus final trades. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. It's that time, Pete. What do you got for me today? 
I'm going to start off with PayPal, Scott. It was trading a little over 186. We had two separate buyers in there coming after the November 190 calls. They went from $2 up to $4 and the 195 calls as well, about 3,300 of those from about a dollar to $2 on those. Both are going to expire Friday. This has to move quick. It already has. It's now trading 191. Stock's already moving to the upside in a big way. I got a second one for you, though, that's not moving quite as fast. Micron, which has been absolutely on fire. Stock's gone from $49 to $60 in a hurry. And now they're buying all kinds of different strikes. They're buying the 61s in November that expire Friday, 3,000 of those for a buck. The 64s in November, about 7,000 of those. Those are going for about 25 cents. The 60 and a half calls for a buck and a quarter, about 5,000 of those. All of those November. And oh, by the way, I got one last thing for you. December, 65 calls at $1.40. 21,000 were just bought not too terribly long ago. So somebody thinking Micron's got some upside coming in front of it right now. I own stock and I own calls in Micron right now. All right, good stuff. I appreciate that. As always, Pete, thank you. All right, time for final trades. Megan Shu, you are first. Um, We'll go with emerging market equities where we are overweight. Um, We've seen a structural shift in the digital adoption. Emerging markets should benefit from that. They also are part of a regional trade pact that was signed over the weekend. Now, a bet on emerging markets is a bet on China, about 40% of the index, but the data has been there good, uh, good there as well. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Bryn? Yeah, Teladoc. Um, take advantage of the recent sell-off, and we're actually doing a little bit of a big boy trade. We're buying Teladoc here, and then we're selling the 220 April um, calls and collecting about $12, and we're also selling the 150 puts and collecting around $13, okay. and so you get about a 14% yield to weight. Good stuff. Thank you. Brenda? Uh, international value ETF. So this is an area that we think is poised to continue to perform well in a global economic recovery okay. that we see playing out for the next few years. All right. Give me a name, Pete, and then Joe, give me a name, please. Upwork, Scott. This stock's going higher. Thank you. Starbucks. All right. Good stuff. That does it for us. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.